Well, tonight we will be in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. You can find our passage on page 1015 in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That sends the reading of God's holy word. So over the last two weeks, we've been in the section on Christian conduct. And Peter has instructed us about a Christian's relationship to the government that has authority over him, and even the relationship of Christian servants to their masters. And so far, the key principle that he has given to us uh, is, uh, is a willing submission to those in authority over us for the sake of Christ, which he outlines in verses 21 to 25 at the end of chapter 2. And, and now he applies this principle of submission to a marital relationships. Now, this text can and has been misunderstood and misinterpreted to mean things that Peter didn't say. Some argue that Peter is uh, here uh, just as he was sanctioning slavery earlier, uh, that he is essentially condoning the enslavement of women and uh, and abuse. Uh, Here, others uh, have also misunderstood this text to be saying particular things about what women are to wear uh, and how they are to speak to their husbands. Um, uh, Some have argued essentially that women are less valuable or capable of men based on some of these passages in in the past. And all of these things that are listed off, and there's more, uh, have come from misrepresentations or bad teaching over the years. And hopefully we can um, untangle some of these knots tonight because we need to remember that basically... At the heart of this teaching is the example of, the, of salvation in Jesus Christ. So when Peter says, likewise to wives, and then likewise to husbands, he is putting the servant, the wife, and the husband all in the same group of Christians who are called to pattern their life uh, after the Savior who suffered for us who saved us from judgment, and who has reconciled us to God. And so when it comes to marriage, Christ is the central prism through which we are to view and relate to our spouse. We can, and so we can approach this 
passage by, 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 uh, by breaking it up into two commands. And the first command will deal with verses 1 through 6, the second one to husbands. And basically it's this. Wives, follow Christ as you live with your husband. And husbands, follow Christ as you live with your wives. We'll go through each one. So wives, follow Christ as you live with your husbands. And we see here first a wife's submission in verses 1 to 2. So the, now the first thing we need to understand, just like we're talking about the culture in which um, the servants and slaves and like that, we need to understand what the Roman culture was the understanding there. We also need to understand a bit more of the culture to which Peter is writing. Remember, he's writing to Asia Minor. Uh, northern uh, northern Turkey of modern day Turkey today. He's writing in the Roman Empire during the first century. And so he's addressing here Christian wives. Now these Christian wives may have Christian husbands or they may have pagan Roman husbands. Uh, we don't know. Um, but but he, he highlights that you could have both in the situation. But to give you a sense of Roman culture, when he gives you a quote from a Roman historian named Plutarch, okay, great name, Plutarch, all right, so if Meg has a boy, Plutarch, there you go, so there we are, so just let her know, I made that suggestion, and then we all voted on it, so, um, uh, but Plutarch also had this book called Advice, and so he gives some kind of general cultural advice that was, com- was commonly accepted in the day, but this is what he said about wives, he said a wife ought not to make friends of her own, but to enjoy her husband's friends in common with him. Um, it's funny, in college, it was always the reverse. The guy started losing his friends and just hung out with his girlfriend's friends. But anyway, um, but the gods are first and most important friends. Uh, wherefore, it is becoming for a wife to worship and to know only the gods that her husband believes in and to shut the front door tight upon all strange rituals and outlandish superstitions. Outlandish superstitions. So, so there you have the cultural expectation that a wife will not have her own friends, that will only have friends with her husband's friends, and also that she is only to worship the gods her husband worships, which if her husband's a Christian, well, good. But if he's not, well then, you know, you've seen those, uh, those, those college football flags that say divided household, right? Yeah. Well, this is where it gets real serious and, real, and, and becomes uh, um, even perilous. Because Christians were often blamed for the problems of society because they wouldn't worship Roman deities. And so if you have a situation where a wife is part of the home where she's expected to worship the gods her her husband worships and she doesn't, well, in that society, men could lose their social standing if their wife was not in lockstep with them religiously. If she's going off with these, these, these weirdos who call themselves Christians doing who knows what, in their secret ceremonies, uh, these Christians who are apparently are elevating servants and women and men so that they share a common dignity in this, this guy who got crucified when they worship as a god. He, like This could create some serious problems. And so as with servants, uh, it, in, in Greek writings, and in, in, in Roman writings, wives were not generally addressed personally as individual moral agents who could make decisions. Now, they weren't considered property like the servants or the slaves were, uh, but they were considered to be inferior to men. But here, Peter writes to these women as independent moral agents who had the capacity to think and act for themselves 
uh, whom he and he calls them to live out their faith in Christ. And so Peter says here that a Christian wife should willingly submit herself to her husband's authority or leadership in their marriage. That's what it means to submit herself to her husband. He defines that particularly through the respectful and pure conduct, which he says can essentially bear a type of wordless testimony. But submission is not an indication of inferiority. That has to be clear. But this, that is often the modern assumption. That if I submit myself to you, then I am making myself inferior to you, and that is unacceptable. Because we're all superior to everyone, is what kind of everyone acts like, or they act like that's what it needs to be. But, our, but just based on what Peter said so far, are Christians inferior to their government leaders because they submit to them? Are servants inferior to their masters because they willingly submit to them? Is Christ inferior to the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders that he submitted himself to when he was persecuted and killed? The answer, of course, is no. Yet Jesus submitted himself to them. He submitted himself to the will of his Father. Jesus submitted himself. And so we were reminded that this submission to, to willingly follow the leadership of her husband is, is done out of reverence for God and not the, not the spiritual status of her husband. Peter's saying, look, even if he's not a believer, submit to him. Honor him as your husband. And and he says there's this kind of built-in apologetic and evangelistic function here. Because in Roman society, it was considered unruly and shameful for a wife to instruct her husband. But that also means that her conduct would speak volumes. I remember uh, Lee Strobel, uh, the, the guy who wrote uh, you know books about faith and coming to faith and did a lot of has done a lot of great apologetic work. Well, he said that the, the what, what led him to investigate Christianity was the conversion of his wife, and it wasn't just what she said. He said, "I noticed that she actually was becoming a better person. She was becoming more patient with him." For one thing, he noticed, uh, but he also just noticed that just her general character was improving. She was just just becoming this even uh, even an even better person than she had been, and in her patience, her interaction with him was affecting him such that he decided to investigate the faith. It's exactly what Peter's talking about. Augustine wrote about how his Christian mother Monica had been a, a very a, had been an incredibly faithful Christian. Mother and wife, even though she was married to an unbelieving husband all their days. As far as I understand, Augustine's father never converted. I don't think he did. But she, she was faithful to, to submit to and pray for her unbelieving husband and her disobedient son. Because Augustine was a wild child uh, for a long time. Uh, and, uh, but she was faithful in her life. She was faithful in her prayers. Her words and her life, God used to bring forth one of the greatest Christian thinkers in the history of the church. And so Peter commands wives in this manner to go to follow the example of Christ and to be submissive to their husbands. And that even if he doesn't believe, so that by their conduct, that he may be struck and witnessed to by uh, um, uh, by, by the way they live. 
And then he goes on to say to, to say that a wife's true adornment is in, internal. In verses 3 and 4. Now this is not, as, as a few contend, uh, Peter is not saying that uh, you know, it's sinful for women uh, in all times and all places to braid their hair. Or to wear nice jewelry. Or to have nice clothes. This is Peter saying that a Christian wife doesn't need to get caught up in the competition, especially the Roman uh, that day, the Roman competition for beauty and extravagance. Now, we should note that many Christian women would not have had the money for such a lifestyle, but some did. But this is also an encouragement to those women who can't afford that, 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 that lifestyle, that hairstyle, or that Roman fashion, that their worth is not dependent upon their wealth. And in many of these women are coming out of that Roman background that is not too dissimilar from our own society that exalts a very particular form of feminine beauty and style. And one ancient source was even making fun of the whole spectacle of kind of the Roman obsession with beauty and how they do it. How they, there was a whole like kind of satire parody and talking about how servants would vote on a lady's hairstyle as if it was a life or death matter with all that. With her hair like tears of cake or stories like a building built upon her head. And from the front, she looks like the perfect woman. woman From behind, you can see it's a ruse. And so I just got to paraphrase what he was saying there. But Peter, uh, Peter says, look, don't put your stock in the external. Instead, he says, let your adorning come from within, what he calls the hidden person of the heart. From the, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, there's no shortage of bad takes on that phrase. Gentle and quiet spirit. Now, one thing that's puzzling is that people will hear gentle and quiet spirit and they'll go, that means women are supposed to be quiet all the time. That's not what he says. It is a gentle and quiet spirit, not a gentle and quiet mouth. All right? It's a gentle and quiet spirit. So it's not saying everybody's just going to be disrespectful, but you know what I'm saying. Like it's just it's it's about the internal qualities he's talking about there. And so Peter's talking about the spirit, that is the spiritual and personal inner life of the soul. Now the idea here is meekness, to be sure, but not timidity, like a church mouse. That's not what it's describing. And also the idea is meekness. The best picture I've heard of to, to understand what it means to be meek is a meek. To be meek is to have the sword in its sheath. Meekness, meekness is a sheathed sword. It is not a sword that is brandished. But it is a sword. It's, in a, it's dangerous, but it's, but it's secure. That's what meekness is. It's the gun in the holster with the clip, safety clip over it. Right? It's secured, but it's there. Right? That's what meekness is. It's not weakness or just kind of like, you know... Uh, you know, fainting on the couch, you know, kind of clutching the pearls kind of thing. That's not what meekness is, all right? Um, To be meek is to have the power of self-control, or as in this case, to be a beloved daughter of the eternal king who in reverence for her savior submits herself to her husband, who does not enslave herself to the latest fashions but seeks to grow in the grace of God. Calvin understood Peter to be talking about uh, what he's saying here is that, it, that, that, that Peter is saying that a wife is refocusing herself from outward beauty to the cultivation of her mind in God. 
Now, whatever this is, it's not new. In the Old Testament, we find this type of teaching. It's in Proverbs 31.30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Now, this may have been out of step with uh, popular ideas and practices of beauty in Roman society, but even Greek philosophers agree that it was better for, for women and men to focus on internal virtue, virtues rather than just temporary externals. And a wife who bases her value you know, not upon her external looks and adornment, but the adornment that she has in the mercy and love of God and Jesus Christ, that, that wife will adorn herself in, in the fruit of the Spirit as she produces love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. And this is beautiful in the sight of God. And then Peter gives us a wife's example in verses 5 and 6. Now, a woman coming into the faith uh, from the, the Roman culture uh, receives a new example. Uh, previously, she would have been given other examples uh, that, that would come from Greek literature, like uh, Hector's wife, Andromache, uh, who was taken prisoner after tr- the city of Troy fell and Achilles had killed Hector, and so he... Uh, did what he does, which he takes, uh, he takes his wife, uh, and, and takes Hector's wife as a prisoner, uh, and ends up giving her, and Achilles ends up dying, so Achilles' son ends up taking Hector's wife, Andromache, as his wife, and, and, and eventually she actually ends up becoming, he dies, she marries somebody else, and she ends up becoming queen of a small nation uh, near Greece. But, um, but that, those types of examples would have been brought up. And Peter says, uh, you know, to these women who are coming into the faith, uh, who if, who, that, that they don't need to rely upon tales of fiction from the Greek to get their examples of what godly femininity is. Instead of imaginary characters, Peter says that they, they can look to the holy women of the past who actually lived, like Sarah, the wife of Abraham. She obeyed her own husband. And often put up with his own foolishness, which is well recorded in the scriptures. Yet, she called him Lord. Now, two things here. Uh, first, note that he, Peter says that these women submitted to their own husbands. They didn't submit to all men generally and equally. Okay? Um, so this idea of submission is a marital relationship, not just submission from one gender to another generally. Secondly, uh, when Sarah called Abraham Lord, it wasn't that she was calling him God. That was just a term of respect and deference that she called, that she referred to him. And Peter says that this is godly heritage is now your heritage by virtue of faith because you belong to the Lord. You don't just have Sarah's example, but you, you, but you also follow in her way. You are even her children. Because she too lived with her husband in a foreign and hostile land. And she honored her husband even in his mistakes. And she even made some mistakes of her own. But do not let anything intimidate you. Because in Abraham you have the promise of the covenant in Christ. And so Peter encourages Christian wives to honor their husbands in the example and love of Christ. To seek an internal adornment in the graces of the Spirit 
and to follow the example of faith of the godly women of the past. And then Peter turns, briefly yet powerfully, to the husbands. And he tells them, husbands, follow Christ as you relate to your wife, in verse 7. Now some have wondered here at the fairness of wives getting six verses versus husbands getting only one. But I'm always quick to remind people that there's only, but in that one verse, only one gets their prayers threatened, just for the record. <laughs> so, Peter exhorts and instructs Christians' uh, husbands in the way that they live with their wife, and the honor that they show them, and how the way they treat their spouse affects their relationship with God. It's a lot to pack in into one sentence. But he tells, he t- he tells Christian uh, husbands to live with their wives literally according to knowledge. The, the ESV says in an understanding way. Literally translated according to knowledge. The Christian understanding, this according to knowledge, would come from presumably the word of God and the person of his wife. In Roman culture, husbands had a lot of power. They could, they could throw babies out and I mean, expose them if they didn't want them. They, could, they had the right to go do that. And, a lot, and, and Christian, Christians early on would go scoop up those babies and go care for them. Uh, but uh, but uh, husbands could go make use of prostitutes. They could, uh, they, could just, they, could just, they could just basically make life miserable for their spouse. But Peter says that a Christian husband must live with his wife according to the word of God, according to, uh, the, and according to the personality and needs of his spouse. And Paul goes into great depth on this in Ephesians chapter 5, calling the, calling the husband to love his wife uh, sacrificially, even as he loves his own flesh, even following the example of Christ, laying down his life for his wife. And then Peter says that husbands ought to show their wives honor. Now Paul says that a Christian husband ought to respect his wife. And he clarifies by showing the way in which he shows honor and why he shows honor. Now, and so the manner in which this honor is expressed, this concern, this care, this, uh, this respect is shown, is to care for her as the weaker vessel. Now, if you want to talk about a folk that a phrase that will rile some folks up, that weaker vessel is a, a deep well for many. But this is not a weaker vessel in the sense of any kind of mental or moral weakness that women are more inclined to. It is simply an acknowledgement of the particularly the physical differences between men and women. And as commonly taught in the scriptures, God's people are to use their strength in a particular way. And in this case, a husband is to use his strength to be gentle to and to care for his wife, to be considerate towards her. Yet while that is the manner, that is not why the husband is supposed to show respect and care. Because he says, because he says, since... He doesn't say since the wife is the weaker vessel. It says as. So that's the manner in which that we show honor. But the husband is to show honor because 
His wife is a co-heir of the grace of eternal life in the kingdom of God. That is the why. Husbands are to honor their wives by protecting them, caring for them, because together they will inherit the kingdom of God. Yet, and, and this is important. Uh, this is important. You, you know, one of the things to uh, you know, highlight here is that, uh, for instance, in the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, um, you know, the, it's thought that the man uh, can, the husband, uh, if he does everything right, he can become a god and become a god of his own universe and have his own kind of creation, his own people, and kind of do what he, do what he wants. The wife doesn't get to become a god. If she's really good, her husband might call her into eternal life where she can have babies for the rest of her eternity. Does that sound awesome? Alright? But, but the husband doesn't have to do it. He can decide at any time to or not call her into eternal life with him. It's all upon the husband. Right? And so, you know, so if you're in the Mormon church, well, guess what? You know, it's, it's a big priority on taking care of those husbands. Because your eternal life depends on whether or not they call you into eternal, into eternal life, right? So, the promise of eternal life does not rest on the husband or the wife. The promise of eternal life rests on who? Jesus. On Jesus Christ. And that when I look to my spouse, to my wife... It, you know, I, even if I'm even if I'm having a sinful moment, or maybe she is, or I'm tempted to not treat her well, or to or, or to I, hypothetically, right? I was like, hypothetically, I would never hurt my wife's feelings. Um, but uh, but that he Peter is saying, you treat her well because she is a co-heir with you in eternal life. Her dignity doesn't come from my evaluation; it comes from God's valuation. And God says, she is my daughter, treat her well. And Peter even attaches a warning here in it. Now, I put it positively because he says, because he teaches husbands, I would argue, to a way to strengthen your prayers as husbands is to care for your wife. All right. But also you can weaken or hinder your prayers, Peter says, by mistreating your spouse. He warns the husband that if he doesn't respect his wife, doesn't care for her as he is commanded to, doesn't follow in the way of Christ in his relationship with her, then why should he expect God to listen to him? His relationship with God is going to take a hit. He will find his prayers to be hindered. Now to hinder is to thwart or to prevent. And so if a Christian husband is going to use his authority to run roughshod over his wife, who God made in his own image, who is a believer and co-heir with him in the kingdom of God, well, then God said, you and I are going to have some problems. It doesn't make the, 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 the husband's salvation works based, but like Paul, Peter wants, uh, you know, Paul wants us to know that we can grieve the spirit as believers. And Peter wants us to know that our relationship with God is impacted by how husbands care for their wives. And so this gets, this gets into a lot of sensitive issues. And there are times where, 
you know, the, the idea of submission to the husband has been cited um, and abused by churches. I mean, there have been cases where a woman was abused by her husband and he gave some cheap repentance. And so the church essentially pressures, you know, the woman to go back and to submit to her husband so we can give her another black eye. You know, and it's just like, it's like, look, that, that is not what the, that is. That is an abuse of the text. That is a misuse of scripture. And the church will call, be called to account for that type of stuff. Because at the end of the day, the core principle here for marriage is not about which gender is on top or who's better, or who has more authority or what is it like, who's, you know, who, you know, are we honoring this equally or doing that or whatever it is. The core principle to, to, this, to this marriage, as Peter's lining out, is, is that husband and wife are to relate to each other after the example of our suffering Messiah. That is the example for, for, for to be a godly wife and to be a godly husband. Surprise, surprise, the answer is Jesus. You are in church. Peter calls wives to live in submission to their husbands, to adorn themselves internally with grace, and to follow the example of the holy women of the past. Husbands are called to live considerately with, the, with their wives, showing them honor so that their, their prayers may be not hindered, but strengthened. And so, and so as we consider this, and remember this is closing out this large section on Christian conduct. And, that, and we need to think, and Peter's big thing has been about the evangelistic and apologetic function of Christian conduct. And marriage is an amazing place to bear witness for the sake of Christ. And so we need to ask ourselves, especially if, you know, if we're married, you know, does my marriage speak evangelistically and apologetically that if an unbeliever were to interact with me, and I'm not saying in our best moments, right? <laughs> I'm saying, but if they were to see our marriages and to see how we interact with each other, would they see Jesus? Would they see the example of Christ and how we relate to our spouse? Or would they see more kind of the world's methods of kind of compromise and kind of you win this one, I win this one, you know, it's I own this part of our life, you own that part of your life, and we and, and we shall not trespass upon the other, you know, or, or these types of things. Where 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 it or is that it? Or will they see Jesus? And so and, and look. It's like every church, any church that's been around for five minutes needs reformation, <laughs> needs repentance and faith to be brought back, to, you know, to get that back on that center gospel message. And it's, a, and it's the truth for our individual lives. When we wake up tomorrow morning, we've got to remember the gospel. As Luther said, we've got to, you know, we've got to beat it in our own heads constantly, right? It's true for our marriages as well, that we need to remind ourselves that the core example of Christ to pray for that. And to pray for God to reveal to us the ways in which that we fail to set that example. And then also appreciate the ways that we see it in our marriages. Because at the end of the day, we want to give honor and glory to God. And we want people to say, you know, uh, I see Christ and how you two relate to each other. So let's pray that that would be so. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a faithful Savior who sets forth a principle that 
helps us to govern one of the most sensitive relationships that we could possibly have on this earth, which is the relationship between a husband and wife. And that you give us this wisdom, not some kind of policy or some kind of you know, go on a date night or whatever the, 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 whatever the you know, even wise tactics that, and as helpful as they may be, but that you point us to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who is the Lord of every Christian marriage. And so, Father, we pray that you would show us the ways that we do not love our, our spouses, if we're married, that, that, that we do not love our spouse as we are called to. We pray that we would repent of those things, those ways, and that we would seek to honor Christ and to follow his example as we relate to our spouse. And Lord, for, for those who are not married in here, Lord, we do pray that you would uh, bless them in their singleness and, uh, and even in uh, whether you are preparing them for marriage or, or, for, or for lifelong service and singleness to you because they are always married to Christ. Father, we, we pray that you would strengthen them. Uh, for, for following this example of Christ is not just for married people. Submitting ourselves, suffering for the sake in the name of Jesus is the basic calling of every Christian. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to put to death our pride. That you would help us to put to death that desire to get what is ours and to be protective of our own little, little kingdoms. And that we would lay down our lives that we would suffer, and that we would serve, just as our Savior did, and as He does. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.